Welcome to the Sports Lodge, where sports, entertainment, and pop culture merge within the mind of your host, Roger Lodge. Hey, welcome into the Sports Lodge on the Global Story Network. Wanted to try something different this time. I wanted to have on not one guest, but two. First, I'm going to visit with one of my favorite guys in the industry. He is all over the Pac-12 for the Pac-12 Network. His name is Yogi Roth. He played college football. He knows college football. He's an up-and-coming star in the industry. And I wanted to have a little conversation with Yogi because whenever he comes on my afternoon drive show in Southern California, also known as the Sports Lodge with Roger Lodge, we rarely get into on-the-field stuff. A lot of times we get to life stuff. So I wanted to have a conversation with Yogi Roth today and also one of my absolute favorites, a great guy who's come so far in his career. Uh, And he's my buddy, Mike Hill, formerly of ESPN, now doing his thing with Fox, recently engaged to reality star Cynthia Bailey. So I'm going to start with Yogi Roth today, and then we will visit with Mike Hill after that. And I doubt we'll talk on-field stuff because when these guys check into the sports lodge, who knows where we, what we could end up talking about. So let me first introduce great college football analyst, a wildly popular guy on the Pac-12 network. He's handsome. He's knowledgeable. He used to work with Pete Carroll, who, by the way, changed my life. Pete Carroll and I were doing a radio show together or like a weekly coach's corner in Southern California when Pete was the head coach at USC. His enthusiasm is infectious and it changed my approach to everything. Well, guess what? My guy Yogi Roth also worked with Pete Carroll. So we're going to share some Pete Carroll stories here, I'm sure. So let me welcome in the handsome the talented. Here he is from the Pac-12 Network covering some game, I'm sure, tonight. Here is Yogi Roth. Yogi, how are you? (laughs) That's as good as I've ever had, man. I got (laughs) a... I I was like, who's he talking about? uh, Thanks for having me. I remember you talking about Pete uh, a couple years ago with great reverence. And you know how I feel about him. And you had, like, the same experience, right? The guy was amazing to be around, wasn't he? Yeah, well, I say this, you know, it's kind of fun because today's my dad's 70th birthday. Oh. And I was in my parents, traded the clay, gave it direction. And then Pete took it. When I met him, I met him at 19 for the first time, and he really started to shape it, started to work for him at 22. And I've been connected to him as a mentee to, to him since then. And our conversations have gone from – X and O's to life to dreams to now family, husband, father. He's a he's a, he has the biggest impact on my life outside of outside of my parents. I love him on every level, and I'll defend him forever, and I'll celebrate him forever. Oh, man, that is absolutely awesome to hear. Almost as awesome to hear the fact that your dad will turn 70 today. Is that what you just said? Yeah, that was awesome, man. Did you call him? What what did you do for Will's birthday today, man? Well, you know, so years ago I made a film about him. We went and walked in Spain and Portugal. I made this movie called Life in a Walk about how fathers and sons, sometimes we fall, you know, we we go different directions, but we really can learn a lot from our parents. And as children, I don't think fundamentally, still to this day, we ask enough questions. You know, we usually tell them what's going on in our life. 
they don't learn about their life. I think that's just a, a truth. Um, so that being said, and he had beaten prostate cancer at the time, and that was a big catalyst for me to make that film. So now to hear him be 70, healthier than he's ever been in his life, standing on his head for 10 to 15 minutes a day, yoga, vegetarian, meditation, as well as somebody who I've traveled to India with. He went this summer to Bali with me where I got married. And today my siblings and I called him and we're going to gift him and my mom and just us three kids a trip to Paris. Just us, a vacation with just the five of us. Um, right after the season. So that was our uh, conference call we just got off of before this radio hit. Oh, my God. That is absolutely incredible. And what a time that's going to be. And if there's anybody listening right now that has had a parent battle anything even remotely close to prostate cancer it can be wildly frightening and scary and how tough was that for you here you are trying to make your mark in the industry and you're working and you're a husband and you got all kinds of family things going and then you get that news yogi how amazingly difficult was that for you that's the ironic part to be quite honest because when i heard in 2009 i didn't flinch I remember I had just left coaching. I was in Easter Island, and I was talking to him on a payphone. Easter Island is, if you don't know it, Google it, check it out. It's, it's brilliant. Uh, but when he told me, I was like, yeah, all right, that's cool. He'll, he'll be fine. And it never hit me that, like, this was a thing. And I think as athletes, I'd be curious if you'd agree, or a lot of your listeners would agree, especially as a male, what kind of program that the only time we could be emotional is after a win or a loss. And we could be Jordan or Kobe or Russell Wilson or somebody who didn't cry then, but don't show emotion in other elements of your life. And, I was programmed that way. Not, not, no one ever sat me down and said, suck it up, be a man, and men don't cry. But I think that was just the archetype of being in athletics. And, and one of my main goals now is to educate athletes on you know, generating emotional intelligence, which is having the capacity to deal with your thoughts, emotions, and, of course, have empathy towards others. And, and I had none of that. Like, my EQ was a zero. Uh, but thankfully, that hit me between the eyes about seven years later. And I was like, damn, I, I almost lost my dad, like, what am I doing? I got a lot of questions. And that began, that, that changed me. I became every day someone who meditated around the word vulnerability. You know, I cry now. My wife clowns me. I'll cry literally just looking at her. You know, I'm an emotional wreck. I might cry tonight in the pregame show just because Jane Daniels is a true freshman starting for Arizona State. But I think I, I just had, was never programmed to do that. And thankfully, that's changed. And thankfully, my dad's still around. Okay, let me let you in on this. I just cried about three hours ago. I was on the phone with my father-in-law and he has his brother-in-law who he's, it's like a brotherhood between the two of them. They're that close. And his brother-in-law is, is facing cancer and it's not going well. And I had my father-in-law on the phone today and we talked for probably 20 minutes. And at the very end of the conversation, I, I told him, Hey, I just called today to tell you that I love you. And I'm here for you 24-7 if you just want to talk and rant or whatever it is. I'm here for you. And for the very first time ever, and I've been married to my beautiful wife for 18 years now, and he said to me, I love you, Roger, and I really, really do love you, and I appreciate you calling me today. And I, I'm crying like a baby. I hung up the phone, Yogi, and it was almost like this like this cleansing. It was okay for me, a grown-ass man, to cry with my <laughs> father-in-law. You know what I mean? Hey, man, you know, it's, it's really interesting, you know, and my wife reminds me of this all the time. I mean, we celebrate our life, we celebrate our love usually when we get married 
or when someone dies. And, and how sad is that? You know, where now, like, we really, you know, and I do it with all the people I work with, the coaches I'm, I collaborate with. Um, we tell each other we love you all the time because you're right. Like, we all want to say it. And I don't know why the, the walls are up and the fear is there, but, you know, there's a lot of theories, right? It could be World War II. It could be Vietnam. It could be this generation. da 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 But I, I think it's on us as guys who have voices in the sports world to specifically impact the coaches that are impacting kids that are getting burnout, that are being told to suck it up, or being told to be a quote-unquote man. And for me, being a man is having the courage to stand up for what's right. And I believe that, whether that's, you know, ending violence against women, whether that's being a good teammate, whether that's just you know, showing up on time for meetings. Uh, I really think that's the word. You know, you have the courage to look somebody in the eye. You know, right now, I talk to college kids, and you know, I just finished going on 12 campuses, and I talk to a bunch of the teams, and, a lot of them haven't done what you and I had to do in college, which was walk across a bar or a party and, like, talk to a woman, and which scared the daylights out of me. I don't know about you, but now it's just a swipe, right? So they're losing a lot of the EQ or a lot of the skill set around, like, i got to be courageous. i got to have conversations, let alone just standing up in front of a group. And I think there's a lot to go down that road, right? You see teams now, like ASU, they're in a huddle because Herm Edwards wants guys to look their quarterback in the eye. And we've gotten away from that. And communication is clearly not as, uh, as efficient as it was, I think, years ago in terms of following somebody and learning from somebody and listening to somebody. So now we see a sign, we see a signal, and we just go and make you lose some of that in sports. And I think it's coming back around, to be quite honest with you. Yogi, when you go talk to college kids, what's the most common question you get? Wow, that's a great one. You know, they, they vary. Uh, a lot of them is like, how do I get on TV? which is pretty lame, but I, I, I understand that. Uh, and then the second one is a lot of them pull me aside and they say, how, how do I deal with, you know, my emotions? You know, how do I deal with failure? Because these kids are, I think it's, it's really a traumatic time in sport because of the hype in high school. And I'm part of it. I do the Elite 11. Like, I'm driving the hype train as much as anybody. But the problem is, is that the reality of you at 17 and then the reality of what, once you get inside a locker room with 22-year-olds and in a college environment, they're usually drastically different. And most kids struggle when the reality outside, and it's still believed to be true by their family, their community, is starkly different than the reality inside, which is I'm on the fourth string. i got to fight my tail off to just compete for rest and practice, let alone be the dude in games. That's really hard for guys to deal with because they feel it on their phone. It vibrates inside their pocket constantly. Why aren't you playing? Why aren't you the dude you're supposed to be? You're getting screwed, and you're getting fed. And when I talk to kids, a big thing I talk about this year is your wonder switch. And I think a lot of times the wonderment of playing and our imagination, which is so strong, gets flipped off and turned off by a coach, somebody in the media, somebody outside themselves. And everybody hates their profession, hates their craft at some point. Right? You hate football, you hate broadcasting, you stick it, whatever. Usually it's because something external has impacted you. And every kid to a T raised their hand and said, yeah, man, my wonder switch has been turned off or it is turned off. So you, you got to turn it back on. And we, and we dive back into how powerful the imagination can be because imagination is always working, right? Like either imagining how bad life is, you're imagining what life could be and how brilliant and beautiful it could be. And that's been a real fun topic of conversation over the last two months for me. Amen to that, brother. Hey, when I talk to college or high school kids, about the industry the first thing i say i go up and introduce myself and the first thing i say 
is if you can go do something else in life and be equally as happy other than the entertainment industry, go do it. Because the entertainment industry is brutal, it is cutthroat, it is hard. So if I would have said that to you 15 years ago when you were a kid coming to listen to me speak, how would you have reacted to me saying just that? I mean, to be really blunt, I would have smiled at you and said, thanks. And I would have put you in the same category of everybody who told me I couldn't play Division One football. And, I would, you know, internally I'd be like, all right, just give me one chance, man. And I used to say that in college. Give me one rep, coach, and I'll make it two, and I'll make it ten, and I'll make it twenty, and then I'll start and I'll get scholarship. And that's, I think, the internal confidence you have to have. You don't say that. That's what I would have said to you. And a big thing I try to tell kids, I just, you know, I hit Khalil Tate on it the other day. You know, he put something on his Instagram about, you know, to hear all the chatter about the haters. And I was like, bro, prove yourself right. Don't prove others wrong. And I think that's a big thing. Um, it, I was a failure at that. I would be like, screw you. I'm going to prove you wrong. And I would, I, would, I would DM you 10 years later when I was on TV. Hey, man. Just like, you know, it, would, it would probably would have been passive aggressive, you know, but I, w- I would have welcomed it, you know, and, and, and it, would have t- it would have challenged me. I, I think that's really cool that you say that because I think it's the truth of the industry, and I think kids need to hear that. And then they find out that they love it, you know, just like college football. You know, a lot of kids, I think the love of college football, the love of the game is waning dramatically. And kids play because they're good at it, or they get a lot of love, and it's really cool to go to the opening and be, a, you know, one of the top flight recruits. And they love getting recruited more than they love playing football. And that's a hard question for coaches to try to figure out when they're, getting, when they're in the recruiting process. And the reality is kids don't love it that much. You know? And you've got to love it because it's hard. It's, I mean, it's, it's difficult to play at this level, let alone the, the next one. So I probably would have smiled. Yeah. How much do you love being a broadcaster, Yogi? Oh, man. It, it's one of my greatest gifts. And ever since I've been married and we have a son, like, Football is, is even more enjoyable for me because it's not in full position in my family. I don't know if that happened with you. Uh, but it's been really – I found a deeper love for it this offseason after, you know, I got married. And it's been really cool for me to look at the game through this lens. It's just different now because I'm in a different stage of my life. And I always say this to our crew before every game. I say, hey, guys, I get on the talk back, the little microphone, and talk to the truck and every broadcaster on our crew, and I say, let's go call the natty. And I could be calling Oregon State versus Cal. Well, I'll trick them all. Like, I'm calling Dan McClendon. So when I get there, I'll say, hey, I've called 200 of these, man. Because I'll get there. I'm not even worried about that. Uh, and then I think my job fundamentally is to only do two things, which is to celebrate the game and coach the viewer. Like, I, I really think that's primary for me. And I tell young broadcasters to figure out why they do it. Because if it's about, you know, showing your boot, your mug in the boot, that's cool. Or, you know, your Instagram numbers boosting, that, that's fine. Um, but I think, I hope we have a, a greater reverence for the game than that. And I'm always trying to remind people, especially loud personalities, and I'm told by executives at other networks, hey, Yogi, you need to be louder. And I'm like, eh, I respect the game too much. You know, I, I, we don't exist without the game, so I'm not going to be that critical to the game. Yeah, I don't think that's really the right thing to do if, you, if you're really in love with something. So, yeah, I think that's kind of where my... My, my role fits, or at least how I see it. And maybe that gets in the natty, maybe it doesn't, but I don't care. I'm just kind of trying to stay connected in the process. Well, listen, brother, keep it rolling. Keep up the great work. Always appreciate your time. Love the conversation. Thanks for working me in, Yogi. 
Anytime, man. Enjoy the weekend. There he is. That's my guy, Yogi Roth from the Pac-12 Network. Every time I chat with that guy, I absolutely love it. And it's always the same thing with my next guest who's up and ready to go. Formerly from ESPN, now doing his thing for Fox Sports, recently engaged. Let's check in with my friend, Mike Hill from Fox Sports. Mike, how are you? What's up, Rod? How you doing, man? Dude, people are raving about the way you look these days. What are you doing different? Uh, Maybe I'm in love, man. I don't know, <laughs> man. You guys just got engaged. <laughs> Wait a second. When you're, when you're engaged... When you're engaged to a supermodel slash reality show star, man, it's like everybody's got that spotlight on you. So, you know, you got to try and keep your body as slim and trim as possible, you know, being out in Hollywood. And plus, I got a book cover that I'm actually getting ready for because I just wrote a book called Open Mic. And it's kind of uh, it's revealing. And on the book cover, I want to have a, a picture that says revealing. So uh, I, I'll let your imagination go that way. Oh, wow. How about that? So when you're sitting down writing open mic, mm-hmm. what what was the most difficult chapter to write? It was um, talking about um, some of the things that um, I, I put my my, uh, my family through. Um, it's, it's, you know, a lot of people have this perception about me and it's, and it's just who on television that was not you don't see a lot of the things that i've done in the past you know when it came to uh certain things uh, in my relationships in my marriages um some of those things that that was difficult because i have two teenage daughters now who are starting to date now and uh honestly you know since we're talking about that um i would have never wanted them to date somebody like the man that i used to be um so that was difficult to kind of write some of those things and but I also realized while I was writing the book that I actually needed counseling uh, that I never got for myself because there were so many blockages, uh, so many things that blocked me from uh, carrying out my happiness or giving happiness to other people because of some of the things that I went through in my past. So it was uh, very therapeutic for me, and it was something I actually had to write, uh, something I had to get off my chest because if I didn't, I, I wouldn't be in the position I am today. Uh, personally, when it comes to uh, even thinking about getting married again, I definitely wouldn't be with the lady I'm with right now. Tell me the worst part of the old Mike Hill. I just wasn't, I was, oh gosh, that's that's a good question. The worst part of the old Mike Hill was, I was, a, I've always, I always considered myself a good guy, but I made really terrible decisions. Uh, and uh, a lot of those decisions happened to cost me, you know, my marriages. Uh, and some of those decisions actually, you know, from a professional standpoint, allowed my ego to get to me, you know, uh, to my head. You know, I was, you know, kind of came up really fast. Uh, was at a network, at a, 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 you know, very shortly into my career. Got the ESPN after six, seven years in the, in the network. And then, you know, just a lot of people were telling me how great I was and how good I was. And I allowed that to go to my head, and I needed to be humble. Um, and the humble uh, part of it came when, I got fired when I was in Dallas. I got fired when I was at uh, at ESPN, my last you know year at ESPN before I started working at Fox Sports. But those firings actually turned out to be the biggest blessings of my career. But you know, when it comes to the, the things that was the, the worst part of me was that you know my ego was out of control and um, other parts of me were out of control that you'll read about in the book. Uh, when it, but it cost me my marriages and it also 
you know, some things I had to explain to my two daughters, which they kind of understand now. Okay. With that said, what is the best part of the new Mike Hill? That I know who I am. That I'm not afraid to, you know, show people who I am. I, I, I know exactly what I'm, you know, some some of the things I feel like what my purpose is. Uh, I, I don't really have anything to hide anymore, um, once again, because I expose myself in this book and just let people know that it's okay to, to, to be, you know, flawed. Uh, I used to always try to protect that image. That's another thing. It's like, okay, people see me as this good guy, great guy, whatever, just really nice dude or whatever, whatnot, but it's okay to be flawed. It's okay to admit that you have these problems. Just admit that it's okay to admit that you probably need some help with some of those problems. And um, now because of that, I'm able to help other people uh, go through some of the difficulties in their lives, and I'm able to testify with them so I can make myself, you know, because I made myself very transparent, you know, people that are going through whatever they're going through, I can give them that advice and they can listen to the advice because I can truly empathize with them because I went through it and they can feel that. You know how, like, you know, somebody can give you advice about certain things and they'll say, well, you, you, how can you tell me about this? Because, you know, you never had to go through that. Well, I have. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty much guarantee that. Anything anybody's ever had to go through in their lives, you know, for the most part, uh, I've had to do that, you know. And, you know, some of the things in my book is, you know, my stepfather was a hitman. I uh, found out about that, you know, when I was a grown man. And then, uh, my st- and, you know, he spent the last nine years of his life in, in prison for murder for hire. You know, things like that, man. I, I, the things that I've seen, the things I've gone through, things that I've had to grow up from, you know, is what I believe makes this book interesting. But it's not something I want to glorify. It's something that I want to put out there to try and make other people's lives better. At what point does Mike Hill say to himself or maybe get some help from someone else and some advice and said, and they tell you, man, you should put this all down in a memoir and you should write a book. When was that decision made that you really wanted to do this? Nobody's. I, I used to tell people my story and the things that I've gone through and whatnot. Uh, a lot of people told me not to write this. You know, even when I wrote this this book, especially some of the more personal uh, uh, toward affairs in there, whatnot, and things. You know, there are some people that told me that I'm, I'm I'm committing career suicide. But you know, it's the reason I wrote the book is because I needed to get it off my chest. You know, if I would not have written this book, Roger, I, I promise you, A, I told you I wouldn't be with the woman I'm with right now. I wouldn't be getting, thinking about getting engaged again or being in a relationship, getting married again. Uh, and B, I probably would have stroked out. I probably would have died from some kind of health issues, man, to be quite honest with you. I was dying on the inside. I needed to get this off, man. God put this on my chest. He, he told me four years ago, I remember started writing this book four years ago. And I started writing, and I was like, okay, I'll put it down. I put it down for months and not even put write, write a, a sentence in there. And then about two, about a year and a half, almost two years ago, it was just heavy on my heart. I needed to get this stuff off my chest. I actually needed to go see a professional counselor. I needed to go see some, get some professional advice. And that's a stigma that happens in our community, in the black community a lot of times. We don't go get the help we need because we don't feel like, anybody can ever understand us. So if I would not have used this book and get this stuff off my chest, we'll put God put this on my chest to actually write this stuff on paper, almost like a diary or something like that. If I wouldn't have been able to regurgitate this off of my mind and off my chest and out of my heart, I probably would have been so stressed out that I probably, I could have, I know I've had some health difficulties, but once I got it off my chest and I started writing it and complete, I could not stop writing. 
And once I finished it, I felt like the world had been taken off my shoulders. And I've been a totally different person ever since. I promise you, man. I don't allow things to stress me out. I don't allow things to get to me as much anymore. I don't worry about um, things that I don't get when it comes to, you know, being uh, disappointed if I don't get a job or something like that. I don't. I just know that everything's in God's hands, and I'll leave it at that like that. And I also know that because I've been able to tell the truth and expose my truth, man, that I can just, okay, well, I testify. You're going to accept me for who I am, or you're going to just hold me uh, uh, accountable for the sins. And I, I, I understand that. That's fine. But I'm going to continue to move on because I've said what I had to say, and I've gotten it off my chest. And I feel like I'm a free man because of that. Man, I hope there's a lot of people listening to our friend Mike Hill here in the Sports Lodge. Mike, tell me about how Cynthia Bailey has changed you as a man and in your profession and your life in general. The good thing about me and Cynthia being together now is, uh, you know, like I said, if I would have met her four years ago, I would not have been ready for her. We would not be together. We wouldn't have. It wouldn't have lasted. The good thing about Cynthia is like she hasn't really necessarily changed me, and I haven't changed her. A lot of people look at us and say, oh, you look so happy, or you make her so happy, or somebody say, you make him so happy. Well, the problem with that is when we met each other, we were already happy, and we just make each other happier. She adds to my joy. She doesn't take away from me. That's The, the, the main thing that she gives to me is that she doesn't take anything away from me. She doesn't steal my joy. A lot of times when you're in a relationship with somebody, sometimes you're supplementing somebody or somebody's supplementing you. You know what I mean? Like the, the old, old adage from uh, Jerry Maguire, you know, um, you complete me. Right. If you're in a relationship with somebody that completes you, you aren't ready for a relationship. That's what I had to learn. You had to be whole, man. I had to be whole in order to accept and understand and appreciate this relationship. And so did she. So the great thing about our relationship is that the both of us are whole and we're adding something value-wise to our relationships as far as uh, our heart is concerned. And that's one of the reasons why uh, both of us who have uh, gone through marriages before are ready to take this next step in our journey. Okay, so I asked you a few minutes ago, give me the worst part of the old Mike Hill and then the best part of the new Mike Hill. Tell me the biggest difference between the old Mike Hill and the new Mike Hill. I'm, I'm more, much more mature. <laughs> I, I just think I'm much more. I'm still silly. I still have a lot of fun. I still joke. I still. I am not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I still got a lot of growing to do. But the thing is, I realize I do have to grow. I do want to get better. I want to be around people that make me better. I don't. I don't want to be around negative energy. I will turn down jobs that's worth a lot of money. Because if it's negative energy, I don't want to be around it. I'd much rather have a position where I'm around positive energy and positive folks, somebody that's going to help me grow mentally and spiritually, than have all the money in the world. Yes, money is important, obviously, because I got two daughters in college. I got to take care of that. I got a, a wedding to pay for. Yes, so I got to do that. <laughs> but at the same time, the maturity part of it, the difference is, man, like, you know what? I've matured to the point where I know what the values uh, in life are in it it doesn't necessarily mean something that you can buy in a store. So that's a big part of it. And then I just accept things that come in my life as it is and just continue to keep it moving. So those are some of the biggest things, man, because I realize that I'm not perfect and I still need to grow and I want to be around people that's going to make me better. I know you've worked really hard and done a lot of work to get where you are as a man, as a broadcaster, as a future husband to Cynthia, but how much of where you are right now just comes from simply 
You've lived life. You've gone through it, and you know, just know better now. Oh, my gosh, man. It's, I, I would not trade, even though I've been through so much in my life and so many trials and tribulations and ups and downs and you know, the highs and lows or whatever, I would not trade my life for anybody on the face of this earth only because of all the life lessons that I've learned. Cynthia has a great saying. You know, somebody asked her one time, do you have any regrets? And she says, I don't have any regrets. I have life lessons. So when you look back on anything that you like, somebody says, would you have done this differently? No, I wouldn't have done it differently because there was something that happened in my life where there was a difficult time in my life that I learned from it. You know, it was a long time, Roger. And we know we've been in this business long enough. I tell people all the time now, if you've been in this business long enough and you haven't been fired, you haven't been in the business long enough. (laughs) (laughs) But still, when it happens, it is still something that is kind of embarrassing. You want to walk around, you want to find bitterness, you want to find unhappiness, you want to find reasons why it didn't work, and you want to, you know, kind of come down on the other people. I was like that a couple of years, five or six years ago. Now it's like, you know what, man, that was part of my journey. That was part of my life. And now I'm like, yeah, I was fired. I mean, I have no problem saying that. I have no problem saying that. I have no problem saying about my work series situation right now. Fox or whatever, and I'm not, you know, I used to have my show on America's Free Game. I don't have that anymore. They, that, that was taken away from me. You know what I mean? Or it was, it was that time had passed up. But that means that I'm putting myself in a position for where I need to be and where I need to go and the shows I need to be doing and the calling I have. That's the maturity that I have now. Years before, I'd have just been finding all kind of reasons why somebody did me wrong. Now I just look at it internally and say, you know what? Just saying, it ain't meant for me right now. Now I just got to focus on what's next. And what's next is just waiting for uh, God to reveal what it is and just be prepared for it when it does happen. Great conversation with Mike Hill here on Angels Radio, AM 830, LA and Orange County, the Inland Empire, talking to Mike Hill. So, Mike, the ultimate goal, the, the dream job for Mike Hill would be what? So, you know what, the ultimate dream job for me on air, obviously, is to have my own talk show and to have conversations that mean something. And that probably will be outside of the world of sports. I love sports. I am into sports. I love, it's passionate. I can talk sports all day, but I also realize that, you know, my journey and my life and my mission and my purpose here is to try and make a difference in the world. Now, if I can do it through the world of sports and kind of find analogies to sports and talk to sports figures and, you know, sports kind of relate to life and kind of transcends into life lessons or whatever, I get that and I'll use that or whatever. But my biggest dream job that I could have would be a talk show that I host, that I produce, that I'm a part of in some kind of way that is going to make a huge difference uh, in society, in this world, where we can be entertained but we can also inform and we can enlighten and we can make society better. We are so split right now. And that bothers me, man. I just want us to all learn from each other. I think the the, the, the issues that we have in this country, the issues that we have around this world, is just one word and it's ignorance. And people got to understand that ignorance is not necessarily a bad thing unless you do, unless you don't do anything about it. Ignorance is just not knowing but at this point in our lives in this world, with the technology that we have at our fingertips, literally, there is really no reason for ignorance because you can learn anything that you want to if you want to 
that is my mission right now is to try and help us to understand one another a little bit better so that we can learn each other so that we're not ignorant so we can stamp out racism so we can stamp out stamp out you know uh, sexism we can stamp out you know when it comes to you know hatred when it, in the LGBTQ community when it comes to all the issues that we have in society there are things that we can do and I my, one part of my mission right now is to try and help that along the way I still want to entertain don't get me wrong still want to be out there and have fun and do my thing but one of my dream jobs is to have that type of show that we can have and we can talk about those type of issues and we can do it in an entertaining fashion so that we can also learn from it as well and make this world a better place to live in. Amen to that, brother. Hey, Mike, is it just me or right now in our country, is there more of a feeling of divide than, than you can remember in your lifetime? It's never been more divided. And I, you know, I, I you know, I understand people don't want to talk about. But it, I know it's uncomfortable. Uh, it's never been. I was I served six years in the United States Air Force. I'm proud to have been a member of the military and the Air Force. It changed my life, and that's another reason why I wouldn't be where I was, where I am today, if it wasn't for the military. I've only seen. But here's what I got to tell you, Roger. I've only seen this country come together for one week in my entire life. I've been on this earth for 49 years. So I got 49th birthday, August 19th. One week in my entire life have I, have I seen that this country has been united. And that was on September 11, 2001, and for the week after that. That was it. Everybody came together because of that tragedy. Everybody in this country, we weren't black, we weren't white, we weren't gay, we weren't straight, we weren't uh, uh, women, men. We, we, there was the differences. Okay, let's put that behind us. Now let's come together and be the United States of America, and we aren't looking at all the other difficulties we have. That's the only time that I said this country has truly been united. Now, there is no such thing as the United States of America because we are so divided, not just divided from the gender issues and the race issues and the politic issues and Democrats and Republicans and even the Democrats are split. I mean, it's just so many differences in this world that how can we call ourselves the United States of America when different states seem like they want to secede from the Union and they want to have their own laws, which is okay, I understand that, but we also understand we are, we have, we're supposed to be all under one banner as well. And it's just, it, it's terrible. It really is. And that's one of the real reasons, one of the reasons why I'm so passionate right now. And I get emotional even thinking about it, Raj, because I just, I know this, it's, it's a better way. I know we can come together. Look, man, you're white. I'm black. You're my brother, man. I love you to death, man. I mean, I've been around you a couple of times. We play basketball together, whatever. We talk on the, on the phone when it comes to these interviews. But I feel like you're my brother, man. And I will fight for you. And I know you would do the same thing for me. We have to have like-minded people like us to bring other people around the ignorance that's out there or even some people that have gone to as far as stupidity is concerned right now and bring them back and try and convince them or at least reach the people that they're trying to reach and convince them not to go that to go the wrong way. You know, we, we I don't ever think that we're ever going to be fully united. I'm not naive enough to think that. But at the same time, if I can do my part, to help bring this country together, not just this country, this world, and all of us together, man, that's what we got to do. That's what all of us got to do, and I can't do it by myself. So I'm just going to use my voice, and I'm going to use my platform in order to do that. So I mean, wherever that 
comes from, whoever gives me that opportunity, whatever, that's what I'm going to do. And I appreciate you helping me do that as well. How come you and I, when we have a conversation, and we've had many a conversation, most of them on the radio, on the air, but how come it never feels like it's a Caucasian male talking to an African-American male? It's just two souls sharing stories and and sharing thoughts. How come we never think, oh, it's a white guy talking to a black guy and vice versa? Nah, because we, because we don't think like that. Nah, look, we're we're look. I I know you're white. You know I'm black. Okay, <laughs> well, well, there are, there are some differences. There are some differences I have with if I talk to a black person. You know, there are some differences we have. I'm pretty sure you have differences when you talk to some of your white friends or whatever. There are differences you're gonna have, but I'm not gonna fault you because you don't look like me because you don't sound like me. That's the that's the issue that we're having when it comes to racism and prejudice. Just because. You know, if there are certain things that you say more values or you look at me differently because of the things I wrote in my book or whatever, some of the things are said inside, I can accept that almost. But if you just look at me and you're like, ah, I can't really agree with him because he's black, that, that's ignorant. That's dumb. Why? That, that makes no sense to me. And if I looked at you and I said, well, I just can't believe because he's black, that's just as dumb. So I don't understand why we have those issues in society. If it's, you know, like Martin Luther King says, you know, the, the content of your character, not the color of your skin. It's about your content of your character, man. Judge me or let me judge you based on the content of your character, what you show me, what type of person you are, not the person you look like. That is what we need to get, get over sometimes, man, and it's just gone too far. A lot of times, on a lot of different occasions, not, I'm not just saying white folks looking at black folks a certain way. I'm saying some black folks looking at other uh, ethnicities or whatnot looking at the ethnicities, period, Asians, uh, Latinos, any type of prejudice that we have because we are different skin color-wise or whatever, that has to be stopped because we're all human beings, man. That's the only uh, way I look at certain things when it comes to judging somebody in society is I know you're human. I'm going to have love you because you're human, because you're a living, breathing creature. But, you know, if your morals are in the wrong place, in my opinion, I can I can speak on that. Other than that, there is no reason for me to, to, to find any fault in you. And that's what we need to try and get to. So I need help, man. I need an army. I want people to have an army. And I know there are a lot of people out there who feel the way I do. And, I, and we're going to win. We're going to get it done. Always love my conversations with my brother, Mike Hill. Man, you are awesome. You are phenomenal. I love you. And I can't tell you how much I wish you and Cynthia all the best moving forward here, man. You deserve to be as happy as you are. So go get it, brother. And I look forward to our next conversation. I love you. Thank you. I love you too, Raj, man. Anytime, man. So I'm always here for you, man. Let's keep on fighting that fight, my brother. Amen. Thank you, Mike. All right, bro. Talk to you later. There he goes, Mike Hill. And I got to be honest, he's never sounded better. I always love my conversations with Mike Hill. That's going to put a wrap on this edition of the Sports Lodge podcast. Man, I had a lot of fun today. And did we ever talk about anything on the field? I don't think so. Yogi Roth, Mike Hill, all we did today was talk about life. Absolutely loved it. Until next time, right here on the Global Story Network, my name is Roger Lodge. Thank you so much for being here. And until next time, the Sports Lodge is officially closed. See ya! The Sports Lodge with Roger Lodge.
was brought to you by the Global Story Network.